0: Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, the Business Examiner Podcast. My name is John McDonald. This episode features a special guest from Nanaimo's own VMAC. The organization was recently recognized as one of the best places to work in manufacturing in Canada. Our conversation covers how they're handling the global supply chain challenges, how they've developed a truly unique corporate culture, and their approach to management that's made them so successful. Our conversation
1: starts now. I'm Todd Gilbert with VMAC, which stands for Vehicle Mounted Air Compressors. Uh, I've been with VMAC for about 16 years now. I've been in the president role for the last, uh, coming up one, four years, which is hard to believe. Uh, my background is uh, engineering, so mechanical and materials engineering. I've got a master's in materials and uh, also an MBA from railroads University a few years ago. Um, yeah, and VMAC we obviously we sell our compressors. Uh, so we sell high performance rotary screw air compressors, uh, into the mobile market. So these aren't your air compressors that you can get at, uh, Canadian tire or home Depot. Uh, these are for real work. Uh, so they're driving things like pavement breakers, impact guns, blow off guns. Uh, so, uh, some applications people might be familiar with, uh, Just about every Cal tire truck you see on the highway, uh, it's got one of our compressors, uh, finning service trucks have our compressors on them. So these are companies that are either um, pumping up a lot of tires, running a lot of air tools or servicing heavy equipment. Uh, And that could be in any industry. So uh, energy industry, uh, municipal tire service, uh, agriculture whatever it's i'm always surprised at how customers use our stuff um, so yeah and we do not only just pure air compressors but we also do uh, what we call a multifunction system so these are systems that have an air compressor a generator power takeoff port a welder a battery booster uh, all in one one unit so uh, both do a combination of engine driven products hydraulically driven products and then what femac was really Known for early on was what we call our underhood product. So it's a compressor that mounts under the hood of a work vehicle. And uh, it's just driven like an alternator or a power steering pump or something like that uh, on, off the engine of the truck.
0: Wow, that's very cool. Uh, so a lot of that I, I did not know. And it's awesome to have that on the island. Uh, I think that's, that separates you guys. Now do you, you mentioned some manufacturing happening in the background. Do you do every? Is all manufacturing done on site, like in, in the island?
1: Yeah, so we're a very proud uh, island manufacturer, Canadian manufacturer, uh, also really proud to manufacture as much as we, we can, really, uh, in North America. So um, we're very vertically integrated. We go right from an on-site uh, foundry, so we're literally pouring molten metal. Uh, we've got raw bar stock and sheet coming in and finished compressors going out. So everything in between that. So multiple machine shops, foundry, fabrication shops, assembly, powder coating, uh, and then, of course, all the service side of the business that goes along with that. So um, we all are in-house marketing, sales, finance, supply chain, which is I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about today. Uh, Yeah, continuous improvement. It's all all in-house. Actually, there's a really interesting history to VMAC as well. If you want to want me to talk a little bit about sure, that. so uh, it actually started in Ontario uh, with two engineers. They actually got a contract to build a disposable jet engine, which uh, catches some people because why would you want a disposable jet engine? But uh, I guess uh, there was a demand for, and I think is the uh, Canadian military when they're developing uh, weapon systems to shoot down aircraft, you can only practice so much on static targets. Eventually you want to try shooting down a plane and you don't want to shoot down something that's got a really expensive engine on it. Um, so Jim Hogan, one of the founders had come up with a really innovative design on how to make an inexpensive engine. So that's how it started. The, the uh, contracts ended for whatever reason, and they were left with the machine shop and, I love one of Jim's. I don't know if I'm getting the quote exactly, but if you're an entrepreneur and want an idea on how to start a business, open a machine shop and the idea is to walk in the front door. So they had a, a customer that kept coming back and asking, um, for them to build a bracket to mount this air compressor to their truck. And the guy kept coming back They said, wait, I wonder if there's something here. And, uh, it, at that time it was called the Adam machine shop. And, uh, they moved it back out to the West Coast. They were both from the Nanaimo area, uh, renamed it VMAC, and uh, the rest is history.
0: Wow. That's very cool. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and yeah, uh, <laughs> crazy origins. I wanted, to, <laughs> I wanted to quickly jump back, um, and we can talk about some of like the future plans or the external yeah. environment in a bit, but the, the fact that you guys are so vertically integrated, has that protected you with all of the supply chain challenges that we keep hearing about?
1: I think it has. I mean, it's hard to say for sure. We've, we only know our situation in a lot of detail. Uh, I mean, we still have a lot of parts. We've, we manage over a thousand parts in our in our warehouse. Thousands of parts, I should say. We've got multiple product lines. And I mean, all it takes is, you know, one washer that's, that's out and we can't ship a product. Uh, that said, we're definitely more flexi- flexible than some when we've got raw material coming in it's easier to source some, some materials. Uh, We can be flexible when we've got some suppliers that are doing, you know, for example, like some wire assembly or machining of some components out of house that we can do in-house. So we do have some extra flexibility there, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a struggle. And I can say current state is the worst it's been since uh, COVID started for sure. It's interesting how delayed the impact is. But it's across the board and it's uh, like i say every company i talk to is struggling with it we've been fortunate our supply chain team has done an outstanding job we've had a few lines go down for you know a few days but nothing really long term
0: awesome well i'm really happy to hear that um some good news amidst all the the wild stuff happening. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I wanted to, to ask you a little bit about your career as we get going here, because I, when we initially started talking about doing this interview, you know, I was going through your, your profile on LinkedIn and you spent a pretty significant amount of time at one company and you kind of ratcheted up. I think I counted eight different roles yeah. uh, over the last 15, 16 years. Can you kind of walk me through, I guess, a, how you ended up at VMAC and then kind of what that journey is, has looked like as you've, if you moved up every almost two years or so, I think.
1: Sure, um, it's just kind of a funny story. But maybe not the answer you're looking for, but uh, I was I was living in Ontario. I lived there for seven winters, as I like to say. I went to school out there, did my uh, bachelor's and, and masters, and I think it was February. Uh, my parents lived down in Michoacan, and my mom sent me a picture of a daffodil blooming, and I looked out the window, and it was. I don't know, 15 below zero and slushy lake effect snow. And I said, what am I doing here? And so I, I literally applied to anything to do with engineering on the West Coast. And um, I still remember where I was. I was in a laboratory at, at Queens and got a phone call from uh, Chris Larson, who was the engineering manager at the time. And I had no idea who she was. She, she said, oh, I'm calling from VMAC. And who? Yeah, I, I couldn't even remember Applying at the time, and she had to explain what they did, and I was totally embarrassed because just it not, you know, was, yeah, I, I was not well prepared for that phone call in the least. Um, she clearly heard or saw something in me in, in my resume, and uh, I'll say she coached me through some phone interviews. Uh, And really what brought me here was my desire to be back on the island and and the West coast. I've I've got a real soft spot for, for British Columbia. I think we live in the most beautiful place on earth and uh, fortunate to be able to support manufacturing here. And uh, I'll be honest, when I started with VMAX, it gets me back to the West coast. Maybe I'll be with them for a year until I find something interesting. Uh, That was 16 years ago. So like I said, you know, the amount of uh, talented people here and the variety of things that are done uh, it's keep, kept me totally engaged for the last 16 years and there's a lot of long-term uh, co-workers you know that have been here 20 year plus careers uh, so I'm not unique in that in that sense
0: so you know you you landed on the west coast you got to be Mac expect, expected to be here for a year and then you just kind of started to to kind of move up and evolve. Uh, Can you kind of walk me through how those steps kind of played out?
1: Sure. So uh, as I said, my background was mechanical materials engineering. I've always had a passion for making things. I was always involved through school and, uh, you know, the extracurricular activities, clubs and stuff, making race cars or whatever it may be. And yeah. So VMAC fit me like a glove that way, you know, engineering, there's so many different things you can do, but here you got to work with, the people actually making the chips, making the parts, seeing how they go together. You can design something, work with the people that made it and see it right through from, you know, an initial idea to a finished product going to the customer and, and even go and talk to the customers, and <laughs> learn about how frustrating your design is to them or whatever and what what needs improvement. Um, so, I knew, yeah, long story short is, I mean, I started in engineering. I remember, here's a funny one, I remember in my in-person interview um the general manager at the time was in my interview and I had put on my resume that I was interested in moving up to a management position at some point and he said well we've already got an engineering manager so why do you want to work here there's just nowhere for you to go you're starting it you know your career's gonna be peaked today. you start here and you know I said well you know VMAC had been growing at 30 percent a year or something through that time and I had just assumed there'd be new positions uh and new opportunities as we grew and so it's kind of funny how the career progressed because uh, exactly that happened. It was new positions that started up. And I was, I always had a, um, you know, if something came up, I'd look at it, look for the opportunity. Um, wasn't afraid to jump into a new position, created new departments was the first person to try out some roles. Like I was in continuous improvement or we called it uh what, I can't remember what it, what my title was at that point, but basically it was lean manufacturing, continuous improvement type role. So just kind of progressed through the company and then took the opportunity to expand my business skills by going and getting an MBA, which seems to be so common the case. Did that the same year, had a baby and moved and got married and just kind of did everything at once. So it was a heck of a year. Um, but yeah, and then just continue to to progress. And um, fortunately for me, uh, Jim Hogan, who's one of the founders of the company, and um, he was the most recent president before me. This company was in a great position. He wanted to move into uh, more of his passion, which is an inventor role. And so it was a a beautiful transition. It was over multiple years. I knew it was my opportunity to lose, Um, (laughs) and uh yeah it was it was great so very smooth transition and uh great opportunity i want to ask you a little bit about
0: kind of the challenges that you faced when you started versus what you how you, what you're facing now obviously two complete opposite ends of of the spectrum but can you kind of walk me through that a little bit just how those challenges have evolved for you
1: sure um so i mean when i started come out of school and you know you think you know everything about engineering and what it's going to be like to manufacture product but i had no idea just learning what's involved in manufacturing how complex the business is with the supply chain and what goes into making you know I, I still remember going through a we need to change the length of a bolt on a part and just how involved that is and how many people it impacts and vendors supply chain quality control assembly engineering drawings it's just huge Huge thing. So just getting caught up to speed on that was was something else. And early on, also the language. I mean, we speak English at, at the facility, but you wouldn't know it sometimes. I mean, the number of acronyms and uh, terms that are used, especially uh, being a lean manufacturing company. Um, I actually, one of my first tasks in my first week was I built a translation guide of what all, I had two pages of acronyms. And uh, I think that's still been expanded and may and still be used today. Um, but uh, yeah, there's just a lot to learn about the realities once you actually get into the workforce. And I mean, the people is the other side of things. It's, it's really what makes BMAC is the people. And it's, we've got a unique culture here. It's very family that's not always a positive thing. People get passionate about things, and, uh, which is great. But, of course, learning your role and how, how to interact and the blind spots we each have. And, uh, yeah, well, lots to learn. <laughs> Still learning.
0: Yeah. Well, I can, only, I, can't, I can only imagine, too, just with the growth that you've mentioned there over a year. Before we jump into the the great places to work stuff, I wanted to ask you about a couple of colleagues that you have. Is there a couple of people maybe it's Jim Hogan uh, or maybe one of the other founders about people who have had a a really tremendous impact on your, I guess, maybe even on your personal professional life there.
1: Sure. Yeah. As I, I mean, you mentioned one of them, Jim Hogan, one of the founders and Tony Menard, the other one, um, both of them very inspirational for different reasons. Uh, So Tony, who has unfortunately passed away now, but he was the true, stereotypical entrepreneur, just total driver, get her done attitude. And I mean, small companies need that. I mean, he was, he was the guy that could make it happen faced crazy adversity. And I I mean, I don't know a lot of the details, but some of the stories you hear of how close to the brink we came multiple times and pulled us through and grew the, grew the business. And I think that that goes a long way. And then, there's kind of different ceilings. I think companies hit and at some point need a different approach. And um, when when Jim took on the president role, his passion is uh, innovation and invention, not necessarily running the business. So he was more of a uh, delegated a lot of the tasks to different people and got a bigger group involved, which allowed for that growth. And I mean, Jim, I've never met someone who thinks like him. He's trained engineering physicist. His brain just works a different way. And, uh, his career prior to VMAC was in aerospace. And I've never met someone who can take concepts from totally different fields of engineering or or work and put them together into something totally different that a, a new field hasn't looked at. And, uh, he's got a machine shop at home, I think VMAC is almost the second second job for him. He's always got something on the go and interesting projects. So definitely inspirational as far as, you know, just try it, see what happens. One of his lines is sometimes you just got to think you're smart and just get started, right? And uh, I try to live by that because, yeah, too many times you see people, that got great ideas, but they never get it off the ground. Another one I think I wanted to mention uh, was the... Chris Larson who was the engineering manager uh, when I was hired and I didn't know she was my first manager outside of the school system and um, academic system she wasn't an engineer she had no formal technical training uh, but she was a fantastic leader and uh, very empathetic cared for the team the engineers called her Mom," uh, engineering mom which may seem weird and funny for a professional engineering group but um, just to see how important from the leadership side, taking care of the team and, and looking out for their interests. And it really doesn't have, does you don't have to be the technical expert to be a great leader. Um, so yeah, very different to Jim, uh, but both inspiring in their own way. And she's still with the business today. So she's one of those 20 year plus, uh, <laughs> she's now the HR manager, which is a great, or in HR, which is, a, is just a great fit. Yeah.
0: Awesome, man. Well, very cool. Very cool to hear that. I appreciate you you sharing a little bit of the inside uh, the track there. I want to jump into the uh, the employee or the culture side of things. Yeah, recently, you guys, sometime in the last three or four months, I believe, had the been named to the Great Place to Work list specifically within manufacturing. You've also got Canada's or a part of Canada's best managed companies. Um, and right now, you know, outside of the supply chain challenges, there's a human capital challenge. Um, So those kinds of things have put you at a really great competitive advantage. Can you kind of just talk about how those things came up and then what you guys do or have done to, to develop the culture and retain those employees?
1: Yeah, as you said, it's, it's important. And uh, the great place to work is a really meaningful one to me, as far as that comes from the feedback from the coworkers surveys that, that they do. It's interesting. Again, when you're part of it every day, you don't, Necessarily appreciate it, um, but when we've got visitors to the company, that's the first thing anyone mentions is the culture here is is unique and inspiring. People are excited to share what they're working on and talk about what they're doing. You know, people are will smile at you and look at you and engage. And I mean, there's the challenges that come with that too. You know, people bring stuff up and talk about it, which is great. Got to get get that's how you get stuff addressed. There's all these different business philosophies and programs and so much of it kind of boils down to the same thing but empowering the people that that are part of your team is so critical and uh, lean manufacturing has been a great uh, great benefit for us and that's something that we've invested in in the last number of years Uh, but as an example to kind of walk the talk when we were really trying to get this idea of empowerment ingrained in the culture it was we made it mandatory, continuous improvement was mandatory. So everyone had to take a minimum of one hour a week, carve the time out and work on improvements. And everyone had to do it from the CEO to the receptionist, everyone. So that was, that was interesting. And you know, with so many of these sorts of things at the start, there's a big flurry, there's all sorts of ideas. Uh, and then over time, we evolved the program and we, we've moved away to a different approach now. But um, that really helped. We did that for a couple of years. And I mean, you, you add it up and there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of labor time invested in that. But the benefits you see or we saw were fantastic, both on, I mean, the improvements are great, but also just that realization that people can make a difference. And the idea of if you've got something to complain about, we'll do something about it instead of just complaining about it to your manager or your supervisor and saying someone else should fix it. And the response is like, okay, yeah, that's true. What can you do about it? <laughs> Here, here's the tool. What do you need? You need a shelf? Do you need a can of paint? Like what, how can we help? And uh, it definitely changes the conversation and that kind of the perspective on, on a number of things. So that, that's something that helped to build our culture. Changing culture is painful and so slow and I mean, I'm sure everyone's read about that stuff, but really you got to walk the talk, uh, lead by example to, to make it real.
0: Yeah. Is there
1: something that you guys
0: are working on now in terms of like, when you mentioned changing culture, are, are there areas
1: of, of evolution that are kind of happening right now? Always. I mean, if we're not improving, we're going backwards. Um, so as I say, our, our system or tools have evolved, We've now got dedicated uh, continuous improvement people. So people that are, that's their job is continuous improvement. And they're not doing the change, but they're facilitating it. So they're out working with people and teams and can lead bigger change. So helping one encourage the sustainment of uh, metrics or uh, providing the tools and uh, training for people so that they can learn and, and develop the tools themselves as well. That's been a big one. And then we always update and review and change our, our focuses and priority. We've got way more ideas for improvement than we could ever dream of actioning. I mean, it's great, but it's also a challenge. So what are our biggest business challenges? Where are we the senior team? We're actually kicking it off. Our our fiscal year starts in March. We're starting it off now for our next spring. What do we see as our three to five year objectives? Where do we see markets going? Where do we see trends going? And then kind of work it back from that way and engage the different levels of the organization to, okay, here's where we want to be in three years. What steps are we taking next quarter that's working towards that? Yeah, this might be a great idea that's over here, but if it's not going in that direction, lower priority.
0: At the beginning, you kind of, you give a pretty solid overview of of what you guys do in some of the products. I was wondering if you guys do any, do you have people come to you with custom work requests very often? Is that kind of a frequent thing that happens?
1: We've got a a dedicated group. We call it our OEM group, Original Equipment Manufacturer. So uh, say our non-standard product. That's where we handle those requests. So those are great opportunities. And like I said, it's always amazing who... uh, learning how people use our product Um, but we do sell not only to the dealers that install our compressors but equipment manufacturers so like a name you might be familiar with Lincoln Electric Welders Um, so Lincoln's huge welding company they're an example of a a customer VMAX so they buy our product and integrate it in their manufacturing facility in the U.S. Uh, and we've got a a long list of of companies like that that um, integrate our stuff and Need, need unique custom solutions. Next three to six months, what do you guys have uh, on the go there? Uh, if you got any insight in what's happening in the next three to six months, I'd love to hear
0: it. Aside from the political situation, the supply chain situation, the human capital situation.
1: Oh, aside from all those. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah.
0: Internally, let's say.
1: Yeah, well, there's a, there's a lot of uncertainty. And I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity as well. One of the big challenges we're facing is the microchip shortage, not, I mean, it's been a challenge internally for us, but our customers need trucks to put our compressors on and the truck manufacturers are putting trucks in parking lots and because they, they're missing a module or, I mean, there's literally thousands and thousands and thousands of partially completed trucks and sitting around the U S and some of the manufacturers, some of our customers were hearing stories where they, typically order 300 trucks a year. They put an order in for 300 trucks and General Motors comes back and says, you get six. So, I mean, you can feel for our customers too. How are they able to manage a business where they've got that sort of product flow? Um, So that's a big question mark in our minds. That's been going on for many months now. When does that relieve? And actually our sales through the last few months have been higher than I would have thought with that situation in place. So I'm always... I like to be like to think I'm the optimist, but I'm always going, Okay, when trucks start to flow, if we're already maintaining this level, what's going to happen? And we need to be prepared. Meanwhile, our suppliers are we're getting huge delays and stuff as well. So it's going to be an interesting fall for sure.
0: Well, I look forward to to seeing how that plays out. Last kind of business question I've got for you we hear a lot of kind of buzzwords, you know, automation and and machine learning and that kind of stuff. Is there anything that you guys are kind of looking at right now or maybe employing uh, on a smaller basis that it, in some of those areas?
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. The So we we use 3D printing and actually I'll, I'll admit when uh, our director of operations, he was in engineering with me at the time, said, oh, we need to get a 3D printer. I thought, this is nuts. How are we going to use this? And it's been a awesome tool for us we're using it a different way than uh, i think a lot of people anyone that i really know of in that we're not using it for production parts but we're using it for prototyping and like i say we've got an on-site foundry so we can actually three print the pattern basically the mold that we can then use to cast metal parts out of so what that's allowed us to do is cut weeks if not months out of our development time like I said, there's a lot of these buzzwords and automation being another one. And there's kind of this fear that, oh, it's going to eliminate jobs or 3d printing is going to eliminate machinists or something. I don't see it that way. It's, it's more adding capability and just like continuous improvement. These are all growth strategies. I mean, I, I talk to our people. We've, you know, we've got one robotic welder in here. Uh, we're automating. It's not like we've got robots all around the, the facility, but You know, automating testing cells and that sort of stuff, which allows us to build more capacity. Maybe we don't hire as many people as we otherwise would, but if we look at our history, we've got a way bigger team than we did five years ago. So if we weren't investing in that sort of stuff, we couldn't be competitive and our business would be shrinking, not growing. That's all I've got for you on the business side
0: of things. Anything that I did not cover that you wanted to to mention?
1: something that we are I guess actively looking at and I, I mentioned the three to five years is we've got to be looking at as a, as a society and we see it looking at sustainability and climate change um, so that's something we're looking at and I know I know some businesses that look at it with fear and trepidation and oh you know everything's going to change and fight it. We, we want to look at it as where's there opportunity. There's going to be disruption. Uh, when there's disruption, there's opportunity. So some of these markets where there's, you know, very well established companies and if there's not problems, nobody's changing when there's disruption, that's the window gets cracked open. And can we jump through it? So that's something that we're actively looking at. And that I encourage any company to look at is instead uh, of looking at these things with fear, where's your opportunity?
0: Yeah, no, I love that. I love the glass half full approach. Um, to, before we get you out of here, I've got four quick ones for you. Ask these every guest, do uh, you have a favorite book, um, podcast, or some kind of professional development learning, uh, learning thing that you do?
1: Uh, well, on the personal side, like I mentioned, the sustainability, um, they're short reads, but um, Tony Siba, who's part of the Rethink X, I think is the title of the brain trust consortium he's written some uh interesting papers on future transportation um automated driving uh sustainable energy food supply climate change and what i what i like about him is like I said it's kind of the glass half full approach so it's talking about what technologies we have and how they can be used rather than just here's all the problems and the world's going to end it's no actually if we do this and use this what already exists uh in a good way, there, there's hope and optimism. So that that's one that I've been reading whenever he's been publishing a paper recently. I was just off of mine Cause I was sitting on my uh, bedside table. I noticed it this morning. Yeah. And on the podcast side, I'm I'll admit, I'm a, a huge Elon Musk fan. Um, I know I don't agree with everything he says or everything he does, but I think uh, he's one of those ones that's just driving change and innovation. And um, I think when we look back at uh Look back at this time in history, uh, you know, when we're generations to come, I think he's going to be the name that stands out as far as the one that everyone remembers. Um, so I there's a number of podcasts I listen to that are related to SpaceX News and Tesla News and, and keep up to track on that stuff. Awesome, man. Very cool.
0: First, best personal advice you've received?
1: Uh, well, I mentioned the one from Jim Hogan was sometimes you just need to think you are smart. Uh, another one that kind of a catchphrase that I use probably too frequently around here is don't let perfect be the enemy of better. And they both relate to the same thing is it's just don't be afraid of starting something and, uh, don't worry about your plans and details and everything absolutely worked out to dance degree. Cause you'll never get going. Sometimes you just got to try it and see what happens and learn from your mistakes and keep moving on. So,
0: yeah. Awesome, man. I love it. Uh, phone application that you can't live without.
1: Uh, not totally proud of this one, but say Twitter. Okay,
0: awesome. Uh, and favorite restaurant in Nanaimo? I'll
1: go outside of Nanaimo for this one. Okay. Uh, so I'll go Tidal Tacos in uh, Qualcomm, Qualcomm Bay slash Bowser area. So best fish tacos on the island I've found. And a great excuse to go drive up the, the old highway through some of the beautiful communities along the way.
0: Thanks for stopping by From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. If you want to learn more about the interviewee, please check the web and social links provided in the video or listening platform description. Please send any feedback to info at businessexaminer.ca with the subject line podcast. We'll see you next week.